This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I'm Stormy Knight. I've been running a digital agency since 1995. So yes, I am been around for a while. I'm currently working with small businesses on review generation and reputation management. Stormy, I'm so excited to have this conversation and thank you for being here. I appreciate your time and this is gonna be a great insightful conversation. Today we're gonna talk about local search. Uh, The question that we're going to answer is how do you dominate local search? So kind of a nice broad question that we're going to focus on with local search. And I know you have some great experience. Don't you have a great history with working with Google on their launch of Google My Business? And yes. So tell us about that. Yeah, I think that was about 2007 when they started to go all in on the concept of people were going to use search primarily to interact with businesses. They went to a lot of people who were Google partners and they said, do you feel that you can speak in front of other people? And I said, yes. And so they sent me a kit and they sent me a Nexus tablet so I could use their software for logging people in. And my job was to go out and set up business things through different groups. I worked with the local contractors association and a couple of chambers and got the word out. At that time, it was, let's get your business on Google was the theme. And I signed up a few people. I think I got more people away from not using me going and getting their, at that time, Google My Business, which is now Google business profile. And it was an interesting experience because I learned that a lot of people, this is 2008, 2007, 2008 timeframe, did not even know that there was such a thing as Google business. Yeah, I was going to ask, how was that received? Were people even skeptical about how it worked? Or how were people receiving this idea back then? Because I mean, that was a different world in the internet back then. Yeah, it was a different world. Well, I've done, I did training, my agency's name is Net101, and so I have a pretty good sense of when people's eyes are glazing over, you know, when they're losing their ability to understand what I'm saying. And so if I, if I took it slow and I gave them the why, which the why was Google believes that people are going to use search to find businesses, they can wrap their head around that because they, they already did that. And they want to have enough information about your business to feel confident about showing your information. That made sense. And then, so what you need to do is go to business.google.com and make sure that your business isn't already in the system because what they were doing, what Google was doing was buying business lists and basically dumping that information into their system. So what they wanted people to do, not just get new businesses in there, but to fill out the information that they already had. Yeah. So they were kind of pre-populating. They had sort of rough drafts of business profiles in there. And they're still in there for a lot of firms where, you know, and it may be old, outdated info. And so you Google a firm and it's listed with a name for a partner that's not even there anymore. And it's information that's 10 years old. Yeah, and and it's understandable when you're talking about that many businesses, it's not Google's job to keep 
track of you. They pull public records and they pull uh, business databases and the public records theoretically are, are more correct, but they're not always. You know, contractors' licenses and all those kinds of things are all information. Everything that's in the public domain, they scrape, but that information is not being maintained. So having the business person understand that there was a value to them, i.e. people will find you, and they that they can maintain it, that was the thing that they were trying to push. And so really, that process, going and finding your information on business.google.com and claiming it, and then filling it out completely, and then the value proposition to the business was, and then they'll feel more confident about showing you in search results, that was pretty understandable. It wasn't, you know, heaven knows Google likes to make things technically you complicated. Know, bougie bougie for no particular <laughs> yeah. reason. But, Is that a technical term, the woogie boogie? <laughs> yeah, boogie boogie. <laughs> yeah. That would get you. But, I, you know, if I read through their instructions on something and I get halfway through and my eyes are glazing over, I just go back to Google and find somebody who wrote it in English. But for them, that step process was understandable and could get them to go. So, you know, you go to a chamber and you explain to the members of the chamber at, you know, 25 people in the room how, what they have to do and, you know, bring a laptop because we're going to actually do it. We're going to do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I feel like there's lots of firms out there and I don't feel like it. I know that this is actually the still, the still the current case. Like they have not claimed their Google business profiles. This is still a mystery. They are still living in that world that you were describing of from 2007, 2008. So at the time, what was the alternative? It was just typical search or Google paid ads, right? For what their what a firm would be appearing as on Google. Yeah, it would be whatever the random thing that, that Google did and or paid ads, which of course if somebody was trying to sell them paid ads, they were going to have another uphill climb to get past the issue of... See, the problem here is that the internet is invisible. In the meat world, the internet is invisible. So... It wasn't a problem that was being seen by people in the firm. I'm, I met with a law firm here that's probably in the top three criminal firms for our area. And he said, well, there was this case and they went with our competitor and they didn't, it's like they didn't even know we were the best criminal lawyers in town. And it's like, well, yeah, because they've never had a criminal case in their lives. Why would they automatically understand that they should go with you. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to go on the internet and they're going to type in something and whatever comes up, they might do a little comparison. They might call them on the phone. They might make sure that they answer their phone. They might see if there's any articles about how you know evil you are or how good you are and do some due diligence and that's it. Not everybody in town is like, oh yeah, you need a criminal lawyer. You need to go to these folks. Right. They're not following the day-to-day news of criminal lawyers in the, you know, local area if that if that information does not apply to them at that time. So what so what's the difference now? So I know it obviously Google Business Google My Business is now has a new name. So that's different. It's called Google Business Profile, which why they did that is beyond me. That's ridiculous. <laughs> So what, what's different between that time when you were describing in 07, 08, how to get on Google and have your business there and present versus now? Well, the first one is that there's more competition by a huge margin. And that aspect of it is in from a biological sense, 
you know, in the cesspool that is search, the more competition in an environment, the harder you have to run to get in front. So that's issue number one. And issue number two, searchers have changed in that people have been trained due to COVID to rely on reviews and rely on what Google is telling them about businesses. Amazon trained them to do that. And people are more discerning. You know, the due diligence process is different than now than it was at that time. So the first thing is the, are you in the three pack? Are you the easy, the easy choices to make a phone call to? And what do the reviews look like? And then they start then, and then if they've narrowed it down to two or three people, then they start doing due diligence to see what articles you've shown up in, what kind of other review platforms have said about your firm. So all of those different pieces are just part people have been trained to look for those pieces they don't call the first one at top at the top anymore they just don't yeah because it's almost a little suspect like what did you do to get there like is it it, was it real should I trust it maybe I should go for like the second placed guy like I always heard that the best wine to choose off of a menu is the second most expensive because that's probably the best deal and the nominal difference between the second most and the top most expensive. And I know you're in a wine region, so you can appreciate this. And and that's a Um, true story. Yeah, exactly. So and I feel like a lot of people do that. They don't trust someone with all 100% five stars because it doesn't seem very authentic. So let's break down you were talking about the different pieces of, you know, so let's talk first about the three pack, you mentioned the three pack, not everybody's going to know what that is. So what is that? And how do you get there? The three-pack used to be the seven-pack, and it was designed specifically for mobile devices. When you look at a layout of the old search results, it was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And there was no differentiation. There was no reviews in place. And so people, Google said, well, people on, on a device, they've got, you know, immediate needs. They're trying to find their way to someplace, et cetera, et cetera. So let's just break it down to directions, website, telephone for mobile. And so after a while, they kept shrinking it, shrinking it. Now it's the three pack. Occasionally it's the four pack when they run an ad on top, which is actually a good position ad to take out. And that's a a local ad, not to be confused with a local service ad, which we might talk about. So so that thing is meant for you put that advice in your hand and yada yada you could just basically call the top three people in google's estimation now the number one thing that happened that gets you into the three pack is your proximity to the searcher okay okay so you have to be on the maps yes you have to be on the maps that by default happens when you go to create your google business profile and if they have your licensing information all of this stuff they'll stick you on there no matter what but you want that moment of the person is trying to solve a problem on a mobile device for you to be in those three first three positions and in many cases that's the only that's the first now you know mattering on how the questions asked and whether you're running local like I typed in before I got on here family law firm near me so the first thing was the local service ads and the second thing was images and other choices in the Google universe and then there was the three pack and then there was organic search results below so if you're busting your butt to try and get into the top of that organic you've got three possibly four people stacked on top of you, possibly local service ads stacked on top of that. Okay, so before we, I wanna talk about local service ads and I'm gonna mention that so that I don't forget in a minute. But before we do that, I have a lot of clients who have virtual offices, especially since COVID. So 
How do you manage a virtual office without an actual physical location and still show up on these kinds of searches? Can you just do a gen? Because I know for myself, I also have a virtual office and I do a general map location, but I feel like that doesn't quite have the same type of results for local search, especially when you, it's like the near near me options. Yeah, it's not exactly the same. It's more, you're going to get preferential treatment as a brick and mortar and not necessarily because of some magical SEO thing. It's because Google just considers it more legit. And also it's a place where you're going to need directions to get to the place. So there's a couple of different reasons. Google's policy on this has changed so many times that it's not even funny. But as far as I know, as of this moment, um, you, A, don't have to put an address. You're, or B, you can put an address, but you can say you don't want it to be public. And I prefer the second one. And you can also, on the website, you can put in the schema tag for the site, you can make the address match what you told Google in your Google business profile, which is going to help a lot because Google, what Google wants is to get that name, address, and phone number to be consistent on what you tell them, on what the website says, and then everything else that references your business. So as much as possible, getting your Google business profile and your website schema code to match on the name, address, and phone number is going to be a win. And then we get into the land of, okay, Yelp and all the other places that someone's going to do due diligence. To be perfectly frank, once you get past Facebook and Yelp, the chances that someone's going to see your address goes, you know, goes into the .0 area. But what what it does show up is when the dream on local search is for someone to type in your business name see your info box, see your reviews, see your website, and then see a bunch of the other review sites, Yelp, Foursquare, all those other, with your reviews on all of those platforms, just in their face saying, these people are awesome, these people are real, they have lots of good things happening with them. And that is, in most people's cases, they're not going to go through and read, oh yeah, you're at 123 Main Street, um, whatever. Don't put in a P.O. box because P.O. boxes, Google knows that's a P.O. box. It is better to have a real address that's hidden than a fake address that's public. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a really good tip. Okay. So let's go over to... With the caveat that they change the rules all the time. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, so that's just for now. <laughs> yeah. As of the last person yeah. I did this for, which was about two months ago, that was the current case. So... Yeah. Sure. Yeah. As evidence just by how often they change the name of all their, of their stuff. And then we all have to keep up with it and change all of our posts and all of, you know, it's fun. It gives us something to do. Okay. So... Google local search. We had a great episode with a DUI attorney in North Carolina, and he has completely crushed Google local search, partly because he's got a bunch of different office locations. And so he's been able to, but there's also the, so that's reason number one, but reason number two is no one else is doing it, especially in North Carolina. Like these other attorneys just have not figured this out. And so he's gone out there and like in line with the title of the show, he's totally dominated it. And he can draw a straight line for Google local search from what he's paying to profit, as opposed to Google paid ads, which is a different thing. And he didn't see very many results with that. So can you talk for a minute a little bit about 
how it works, why it's different, kind of the basics of Google local search? Yeah. Well, they're in, a, in effect, they're ads. But they're ads that are closer to, uh, let, me, let me think of a best way to say it, native Google results that a person wants to see. There's the pain point where someone comes on the internet to do anything. They're usually trying to solve a problem, which is called the pain point. And they want to get to a place where the solution is being presented to them. And the closer they get to what looks like a solution, the more active they tend to be. Local search ads are a type of ads that are managed through the Google Ads platform. But what they see is, first of all, Google verified, which means a ton. And actually for lawyers, it's a fairly complex process for things that are not lawyers you know, like house painters or something. If you've got a contractor's license, you're pretty much verified. But so they see it's Google verified. So, you know, big, huge company says these people are for reals. Right. It's like the little blue check mark on social media. Like this is a real and they've gone through this whole sequence of paperwork where you just have to verify the business. You have to show, kind of right. prove your and it's a articles. Pain. Of a, yeah, exactly. Especially for this guy who had 13 different offices and he did it for each one. But it paid off. But it's it paid <laughs> yeah. off and it will pay off. It will pay off if there is not an inordinate amount of competitiveness. So we got the Google verified. We've got a picture of a happy smiling face. And a picture of a happy smiling face is incredibly powerful. And then you have the title of the business, which is one click away to go and look at all the other information related to the business. And then you have the reviews. And so from a psychological standpoint, there's verification, verification, and oh, isn't this a nice looking. I went and looked at family law firms near me. The first person that came up was a guy who had 10 reviews and had a 3.0 rating and looked like somebody had just stepped on his foot in his picture. And I was like going, dude, you every click you're paying for, you're wasting because you haven't focused on you haven't focused on getting good reviews because they were like, don't come anywhere near this guy. And well, it was it was weird. It was five that were five star and and five that were one star. So that basically evens out at, yeah, it comes out at 3.0. But, you know, that's one of the problems with lawyers, of course, is that if you lose, you've got somebody mad at you. So, and we can talk about that, is that the the only way you're going to stay at 4.5 or above is if you make sure that you always get reviews from people that are happy with you. Because the other ones are going to do it on their own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's such a good point that you have to have a process for this because angry people are way more motivated than happy people. Yeah. And no matter which side you're on, even if you won, the other side of that case is mad. You know, so in certain types of practice areas, you're constantly going to be generating somebody who's upset with you. So it's something that you have to try to balance out if they're going to be upset and then go public with it. Right. And the last thing you want to do in that situation, and I've seen lawyers do this and it freaks me out, is go after the person. That is just the last. You can say, oh, I'm so sorry that, that we won the case for your husband. But, you know, next time that you have a family law problem, we would love to work. I mean, whatever it is to takes to be pleasant and at the same time, tell the reader. You have to write your response to reviews to the future reader, not to the person that you're responding to. Yes. Let's spend a minute talking about that because I feel like 
I've had a lot of clients who will get a, one bad review and they freak out. So what sh- what should they say? And you know, it's a common thing. And sometimes it won't even just be a bad review. It's it's fake or they're it's wrong. Like they're clicking on the wrong business and they just you know it's a mistake. So what do you do? What do you do when you get a negative review? Well, first of all, respond always. Respond as positively as you possibly can, as if your mother caught you doing something and you're just so apologetic about it. If you believe that they are are not involved with the case or it was an honest mistake, you know, it sounds like you may be talking to the township firm that's located in the same town as we are. You know, if you need their contact information, please contact Brian at our firm and he will be happy to give you the information for the right firm. You know, that kind of, we want to be helpful to you. We want to make it right as much as we can. If they are a client, then there's the issue of, you know, we value your feedback. That's the main thing about reviews is that in actuality, they are feedback. So you want to appreciate that they gave you feedback and that we want to do the best for all of our clients and so as part of this could you please talk to our VP of marketing who is you know Roger Smith at and that information he would really like to get more information about what it was that our team may have done that would have caused this problem that kind of of thing you may not make them happy but the important thing is that you took the tone down you can't or you know, you can't necessarily fix it, but you took the tone down for the person who's reading through 20 reviews because that all they want, the way I call it is that a review is just data. Your response is a story about oh, your business. Oh, that's good. That is yeah. so good. I love that. Yeah. And the, you get the data of the review, but that way you come at the response and especially bad responses is key to letting people know, oh, these people care about their clients. Yes. Well, and it's, are they a hothead? Are they going to freak out and get really upset? Or are they going to address it in a professional way? The best experience I ever had with something like this was we stayed at a Four Seasons once. And it was in Uruguay. And right after we left, it was no longer a Four Seasons. And it changed to some other brand. And we did not have a great experience. So I wrote this letter from a marketing person <laughs> you know, with marketing language. And I said, you know, we were there with our two-year-old. Here's a list of things that went wrong. And I know that these are not to the standards of the Four Season brand. And actually, you knew this too, because that place, that property is no longer a Four Seasons. So let's talk about this, because it was not the experience we expected and whatever. So we, so I, I send this letter, and I had this customer service experience from this top-level Four Seasons person. And this was probably seven or eight years ago, and I can remember it clearly to this day. And by the end of the phone call, he offered me, you know, some kind of compensation. But before he even got to that part, I said to him, this is like a master class in how to deal with customers. He listened to me. He talked to me about how it doesn't meet their brand standards. He talked to me about how he, who he was going to talk to, how that was going to change. Just the way that he made me feel at that moment, I didn't even care anymore. I was like, this was an amazing experience. And so I think about that all the time. Like, how can I be like him? How can I respond? Because 
in business, even on a, even if it's not a review, even on a daily basis, there's going to be moments in any kind of a project where somebody's like, this is not the way I want it to be. I'm frustrated. This is not going well. And how can you respond in a way that moves things forward in a positive direction? Yeah. And if you resolve the issues, many when someone leaves you a review, they can go back and change it. Oh, that's a great point. That yeah. is such, yeah. You don't, and, you shouldn't tell them you should go back and change it. But people who, the people who become your biggest fans are the ones that have the biggest problem that was resolved. Yeah. But you could suggest it in the review. Like, hey, by the way, you mentioned X and Y and Z. And Y is not exactly the way you described it. And I wish we could fix it. Or maybe contact us. Let's try to fix it. Right. It's better to go to the contact if there's, if it's, you know, if the tone is hard to grab, it's better to just say, I'm going to bend over backwards, whatever it takes to fix this problem, please contact us. Right. And then after you fixed it, uh, you could suggest, hey, if you're happy at this point, would you mind? Or maybe add, an, would it be better to add another review or to edit the negative edit one? Edit the one. Okay. Because what, the bad review is affecting your rating score. Sure. Okay. All right. Okay. So let's talk about... And that's on Google. I just want to clarify that that's on Google, not... I don't know what yeah. Yelp's policies and all that Facebook or whatever their policies are. They may be the same, but on Google, if you log into Google, you can see all the reviews you've left and make changes to them. Okay. So let's talk for a minute before we get to the book review about fake reviews, because I know you've talked a lot about this and I've, it's so obvious, especially I spend a lot, I mean, we all spend a lot of time on Amazon. It's so clear when you can tell that it's a fake review. And then I instantly question the whole product, back out, go find a different option. So so tell me, first of all, why do people do fake reviews? And then why is that a bad idea? Well, Amazon is so heavily driven by reviews that there's an entire industry that services. It's not people. It's teams of its companies in the Philippines and other third world companies spoofing IP addresses in the US and doing that. Because if you have you know, the thing is, would you buy something that's two stars on Amazon in, you know, in ratings? And generally that applies to everything, but Amazon, it's even worse. If someone's, one's 4.5 and one's 4.8, the 4.8 is going to sell more. So that, you know, people don't necessarily leave reviews, bad, or leave fake reviews. Most consumers recognize that Amazon has the most bad reviews. Google is actually trusted the most um, in terms of views versus fake reviews, but actually the place that has the best algorithm is Yelp. Oh, wow. That's yeah, surprising. By several different things. And the main thing that Google uses, and Yelp does too, is the pattern of reviews. Meaning if you've been on, if you've had a Google business profile and you've gotten seven reviews in the last two years, and then suddenly you get 30 Google will throw them all out yeah. and you start, you know, then they won't throw your old ones out, but they'll throw out most of the other ones. There's, because we have artificial intelligence now, it's, it has a lot to do with natural language and how is it being written and they look at the IP address that it originated from and there's a lot of different things, filters they can put on front of it, but people do get in, in front of it. As a matter of fact, I have, uh, I have a client who I've done regular SEO for 
and who's a law firm, and his, their primary competitor in their market is obviously buying them. Like, they're getting more reviews than they have clients, <laughs> which is a tell. That is <laughs> so, so crazy. Yeah, and it's pretty egregious, and you'd think, yeah. you'd think... <laughs> Everyone in their neighborhood also. <laughs> and also if there's, if people are putting A plus or, you know, there's no descriptor, which is another reason why the term feedback should be used because five stars or four stars or three stars is not really feedback, but telling us what you did and didn't like is. Yeah. yeah. So adding the comments, putting some details in there, using the language, making it sound like you know, you speak English and you actually, you know, you worked with that firm. So and you worked with someone at that firm because that is, that's one of the tells from both Google and Yelp that if there's names involved with it, it tends to be, first of all, less likely to be fake. Second of all, it means more to the person reading the reviews. Oh, well, Teresa was really, sounds like I might want to, you know, talk to Teresa. Yeah, I noticed this. I was looking for a place to get my hair, my kids' haircut, and there was one name at this particular salon that kept coming up. Go see this person. Go see this person. And I was like, okay, well, clearly when I call, that's the name I'm going to ask for. I mean, that's just the, that's just kind of the natural way we all make those decisions. Oh, everybody's talking about them. Okay, that makes the decision easier. So, do you recommend for people? Do you give them tips on? You know, when you ask for reviews, use the following, you know, make sure you mention someone's name in the firm. Make sure, do you have kind of tips that you give for asking for reviews? Well, the general thing is to say, we'd love to know about what you liked about what we did, if there was any problems, and anyone in particular that you'd like to call out. We would, we'd love that. That would be wonderful. You can't get too asky because you've already done a huge ask by asking to have a review or a feedback from someone. So that's really, you know, lay it on top with a little cherry, but don't like, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> and then do this and then point fourteen subsection three, please. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be the, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is selling software that does reviews is because you want to have people go and do the simplest path possible but at the same time you want to have things like the control to see when reviews are coming in from multiple locations you want the ability to say okay I've got 68 Google reviews and my nearest competitor has 52 maybe it's time for me to go and make sure that Avo has my listings and and Yelp has more listings for me so that you can send them without them having to make a choice because the more choices you give anybody, the less likely you're going to get them to do anything. So that's part of it is, yeah, you have to, the simplest pass to this is the best. The more you start specifying stuff, you've got to be very careful about it because you know, it's complicating it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, that sounds complicated. I'm going to leave. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So it is time for the book review. You have one of my favorite books. So tell us what your book is for the audience that you will, will recommend for this episode. Atomic Habits um, by James Clear. I have the Kindle and the paper version of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's one of the few. Like I cleared out the books in my house and only kept a very select, but this is one of the few that you actually, it's actually helpful to have a hardcover or, you know, a physical version of it. Yeah. I think anytime that 
someone's a professional or they're not receiving orders from above, they're self-generating orders, is a situation, and lawyers are like this in that they always have to make their own decisions within the context of the firm itself, but they're very rarely, you know, someone tells them they have to go do this. You have to have a framework in place to understand what does what does success look like and how do you build a pro- progressive bridge to whatever that success is. And that is on a personal level, that's on a, you know, I need to keep my nails cleaned up level, that's on a, that's on a uh, project level, that's on a business level, you know, you have to look out at, okay, the macro, and then let's take this out to six months, 10 months. Some of the concepts are the same as getting things done. And that was a book that had a big effect on me when I first started into business, like 22. Well, I started 27 years ago, but when I really got serious was like 22 years ago. And I go back, it's one of those books that I go back and reread sections of it. Like every five, six months, I'll say, you know, I'm starting to feel like it's, I'm starting to get floppy and loose. <laughs> and uh, so that's the main thing is to do, you know, constantly be remo- moving the ship in the proper direction. And sometimes it goes off and then you need to go, okay, what do we need to do to get back on? How it? do we right the ship? I felt like one of the big difference between atomic habits and getting things done for me was atomic habits really talks about, I mean, it's in the title habits and not just why you need them, But first of all, how to get started, how to get off the couch. And that's a huge thing for a lot of people, just getting over that hurdle of getting started because there's all these anxieties and fears and things that are keeping you sitting on that couch. And so it talks about all the tiny, tiny, like atomic level sized changes that you can make in order to make these huge changes in your life. So you break it down in these tiny pieces and everything seems manageable. And so it makes it easy, but also kind of, you know, gives you more hope for kind of what can happen and all the possibility. It gives you that dopamine hit too. Yes, yes. Once you get that reward center your brain stimulated, then you want to go do more of that kind of stuff. And that's really key. The thing I constantly tell myself is, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And you can't get, can't stop because it's a big project. You have to fix each little incremental thing until you're that's a, I feel like that's a great, forward. that would be a good subtitle for this book. You know, just taking everything one bite at a time, realizing that you can get there and it seems overwhelming, but yeah, you're not just going to get a steak knife out and start hacking away at the elephant. You got to <laughs> take it slowly. You know? First you have to find an elephant. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Exactly. First, you have to figure out what is your elephant. Okay, so what's one big takeaway that you'd like people to get from this episode? There's a whole ecosystem in local SEO of things that Google wants to see and other business information platforms, including the legal ones. And almost all of them are predicated on the concept of reviews. Yes. And of course, you know, you need to tell Google about who you are and what you do. If you don't have it already, that's step number one. And step number two is to get a system in place to, and it doesn't, it can be my software, it could be a spreadsheet, it could be a list of instructions for the person at the front desk or whoever's doing your invoicing um, to ask for them. You, Unless you're cheating, you're not going to have more reviews than you have clients. So it's, <laughs> so it's important that every client at least gets 
at the moment that they're the happiest. The, I was just, it was described to me by a guy who owned a body shop and was doing very well in Google and did not have a website. And I said, how is that possible? And he says, oh, let me show you. And he got out his invoice and goes, and if they're happy with what I did, I stamp it, stamp it with the review us on Google. And if I'm not happy, I don't stamp it. So... <laughs> That's a system. Yeah, it's a system. So the important thing is that there's a system in place for that point in the process of when the person is the happiest to you're doing the reciprocity thing of we have made you happy. Could you make us happy by leaving us a review or leaving us feedback about your experience with dealing with us? And that in and of itself will solve a whole bunch of other SEO problems because it's not necessarily the one with the most reviews or the best rating wins, but it is a big chunk of it. And you have very little control about a lot of the other stuff. You can't change your competition. You can't change what market you're serving. You can't change that kind of stuff, but you can effectively change that. And the types of law where they don't have a referral by from a friend, i.e. bankruptcy, divorce, criminal, they are relying on that even more than somebody who's a contract lawyer or somebody who, if you're in a state that uses attorneys for real estate, those kinds of things, you can contact your sister and said, hey, when you guys bought the house, who did you use? But you can't call your sister and go, hey, when you divorced that scumbag, who did you use? Because then your sister's going to call your mom and then it's going to get out of control. So you, they're going to use reviews differently than ones that are just you know, public conversational. Yeah, that is so good. That's such a good tip. Keep a system, make a system for the reviews and also make sure that it's a consistent process. Because like you said, you don't want to just all of a sudden have a burst of energy, go out and get 35 reviews. Even if they are legitimate, Google may look at that and think, you only had three before. That seems weird. And then maybe they're marked as fake or spam. So make sure that it's consistent. You're constantly getting that flow of reviews out there and you have a system for it. And that alone is going to do a huge amount for your presence on local search. Local search and local service ads. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Stormy Knight is the owner of Five Stars Fast. This is a great software that you can use to create those kinds of systems for getting and consistently uh, managing your reviews. So take a look at that. And also we, we will link to all of your social and your website on the show notes page, as well as Atomic Habits, of course, the book that we were talking about. So if anyone wants to read that, it's a great, great book to kind of create. It just kind of think about consistency and how consistency leads to that kind of significant growth that most firms are looking for. So Stormy, thank you so much for being here. That was an amazing conversation. Great. It was wonderful. It was very relaxed. And I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.